You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Today, we live at a unique point in human history where data is becoming the new currency. Beyond oil, dollars, and social status, data is emerging as one of the most powerful and consequential currencies around the globe. Technology, computer processing, cloud storage, and artificial intelligence are empowering these data to transform zeros and ones into insightful and even profound realizations about almost every aspect of our lives. Today on the podcast, I have Kent Bridgman. He is a pharmacy informaticist at Alina Health. Welcome, Kent. Hey, thanks, David, for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. So today we're going to talk about some, some may consider it sort of nerdy pharmacy IT topics or, you know, we're going to be deep in the weeds in the IT world here today. And the reason I was, I'm personally excited to talk about this this issue, these issues that we're going to bring to light are, you know, they're just not that talked about that much. They're what, what, what we're going to get into is the finer details of our IT infrastructure and our interoperability. And at, at its core, if we don't improve uh, interoperability, data sharing, data governance, et cetera, then we won't be able to move the needle. Well, we'll have a harder time moving the needle forward from a progress standpoint from our profession. We need all of our data aligned and we need to have all of our, our data to be able to uh, provide us good, valuable insights. And to do that, it starts with better technology better data quality, better governance, because once we have that, we can start doing really interesting analysis and use some of the data to, 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 to find some sort of, um, to test like more interesting hypothesis. Uh, so, um, Kent, f- uh, my first question I, for all my guests, I just like to learn a little bit about you. Um, you're a pharmacy informaticist. Tell me about uh, your background. Tell me about your journey. How, what led you towards pharmacy informatics and eventually to some computer programming? Yeah, so uh, I started off in pharmacy school, went to the University of Minnesota. Um, and in there, you know, when I kind of started off, I really thought retail pharmacy, just that was my experience. That's what I seen pharmacy, you know, as a, as a teenager and before, never really seen this whole other side that, that lives out there in industry and hospital or the plethora of other jobs out there for pharmacy. Uh, and then during pharmacy school, I got involved with a group that did a lot of mission trips uh, to like Haiti and Guatemala. Uh, and on one of those trips, it was uh, was still in school, so I'd stay up kind of late, run to a local coffee shop that had Wi-Fi at night uh, and download my lectures. And I'd go back to my, my, my resort and watch uh, the lectures to stay caught up on schoolwork. Uh, one of the nights, so the doctor... Uh, that was leading the trip came and asked me to help them uh, since I was younger kind of in quotes uh, help them process some data in Excel uh, and they were looking at a clean water project uh, when we went through the data on their clean water project we seen that it was doing absolutely nothing and it cost the organization about twenty thousand uh, dollars so they were kind of just throwing their money down a drain thinking that they were doing all this good stuff uh, when it really had no impact uh, so we were able to look at that and say hey we need to change something or something's not working here um, 
and figure out what was wrong. So we sent cameras around with people when they used the, the clean water system, which was just a five gallon bucket. You'd pour water in and add some chlorine, uh, but there was no top to it. So people would dip their hand in. And then after like three days, they dip their hand in and recontaminate the water. So they were maybe getting clean water for three days, but by the time their bucket was done, they were, you know, drinking dirty water again. So uh, we were able to put a cover and spigot on the bottles or on the buckets. And uh, next time clinic came around three months later, they decreased diarrhea by 80%. Um, just seeing that and seeing how really that data led us to the conclusion and led us to look in further um, when everyone thought it was doing a good job really opened up my eyes to this idea of you know pharmacy informatics and that there's data and the power behind it can really impact patient care and impact uh, change and how we provide health care uh, so I went back to the states um, and started looking into it and just kind of fell in love with it it really complemented uh, the pharmacy aspect um, that I was learning and being able to apply these clinical things in different different may uh, different fashions and even think about things a little differently. Um, and then just kind of continued that on through my residency and then into my role here as a pharmacy informaticist at Alina. In terms of um, just learning about tech, how did you, um, do you do it on your spare time? Do you, have you had any sort of formal training? Uh, a little bit of both. So I did do the masters of health informatics at the University of Minnesota. I also did some public health informatics courses there. Again, kind of that clean water background and public health aspect got me interested in that. Um, you know, I, I think th that kind of gave me an overall idea of how IT is being used in, in healthcare. Um, and then some, a lot of online courses, uh, Coursera, Udemy stuff, and the more programming aspects uh, just to get my hands dirty. Um, and then as soon as I was able to get into positions where I could start playing with healthcare data, just tried to do that as much as possible. Uh, again, to really get that hands-on experience. Um, so a little bit of both, I guess. I love that story. That's like, I feel like all, all folks in, well, all folks in healthcare in general have some sort of epiphany where, you know, where they have a, a mission or, or, or their journey is driven towards like doing something to improve healthcare. And, and for me, I, in terms of IT, I've had a similar sort of epiphany and it was mostly around uh, the, the iceberg nature, the tip of the iceberg nature of drug, of, um, adverse drug events. It's, it's seeing what you, what's reported versus what's, what you can obtain within the EHR. And, and along those lines is when you start evaluating some of those underlying or sort of, or unrecognized problems or, or even evaluating data, you start noticing that there's a lot of holes in, in the system and there's, you know, the Swiss cheese model, which people talk about all the time. And, and it's very easy to see along the pathway of data where there's, there's places that are broken. So that's a good segue into my next question. What I, what I, what I'm excited to talk about, not as interesting perhaps as, as, um, medication errors, but, but, uh, drug procurement and supply chain. So this is one place that I think is, is really sort of under-recognized in terms of wasted time and, and, and data that becomes, became, become quickly unusable. And I think it's definitely, if we think about other industries, take like uh, Home Depot, Amazon, they're, they're ha they have, they're, the, the way that they 
manage their supply chain is far more modern <laughs> compared to the anachronistic way that we manage drug supply chain and, and pharmacy. And for me, it's warranting a major innovation. And, and pharmacy leaders often are, are provided software, but they may not know what other technologies are available. And really, it just doesn't have to be like this. There, there's, there are other things we can do to save time, improve data quality, and, and you know ultimately save money, and and use that data to to show uh, where 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 outcomes are improved by certain medications. So that's a, sort of a long-winded introduction to my question: Is can you just start by sort of like laying the foundation for how drugs are ordered in a hospital? Because I don't know if all of our listeners even know the complexity that goes into contracting, rebates, 340B. Can you sort of walk through the day in the life of a drug, of a, of a, a purchasing agent in a pharmacy and what they have to deal with? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, from my experience and, and working with the ones here at Alina, uh, it often involves multiple systems um, and, and quite a few different steps. So it's not, you know, you just sit down and uh, pull up your phone and order the drugs you need like you would on Amazon and they come two days later uh, in a nice package with a smiling face on the box. <laughs> um, usually totes early in the morning and got to go through them. Um, and then, you know, also with drugs you order and you got a lot of regulation that kind of affects this, uh, that you got to kind of play those games and hop around. So generally our buyers, would uh you know wake up uh say they're going to place the order early in the morning they'd walk the shelves kind of identify based on par levels or eyesights or experience uh or you know what they have in the queue tomorrow for our infusion center uh what drugs they need to be ordered um and they'd, they'd either write them down on paper or they'd uh log into the system and just kind of carry around their laptop uh log into a wholesaler like McKesson, uh, Cardinal, Marisource Bergen, uh, their website, and then just kind of enter these drugs in as they go along, um, which doesn't seem too complicated there. But then you get into some of these more nuanced things where, you know, some of our products we buy, you know, compounding from a 503B facility. Uh, so then it's another wholesaler, another website you need to log into. Uh, you know, definitely if you're trying to maybe compare prices between uh, what the wholesaler, your main one offers and what your 503B offers to see, make sure you're getting the best price and keeping costs down. Um, if you are a 340B hospital, that brings in a whole nother level of stuff. Because uh, that's a whole nother software system you need to log in to split your order to different accounts. Um, if you have inventory systems like OmniCell, Pixis, uh, that can kind of help do that walk in the shelf for you, um, then you're going to have to log into those. Uh, so what we see is that, you know, our, our buyers have to log into all these different systems to get an order. Uh, and generally, the data, you know, if you get into one system, you can't just transport the data to the other. It doesn't do it automatically. So you have to export some kind of file, import it to the next system, export it from that system, import it to another system. Uh, and along that whole way, a lot of these ID fields that computers used uh, to kind of keep track of things in relational databases or however they store their information uh, will get changed. And that requires some extra attention by buyers to either change them back or just breaks the link and the software doesn't work like it should. Um, so we see, you know, again, multiple systems, multiple imports, exports of files, uh, multiple changing of like PO numbers, uh, invoice numbers to get things to, to work as they should, as the system's intended, um, which really just makes for a really complex way of ordering. Um, another big thing, you know, is these systems, when you have that broken data chain, uh, you can't really apply the the artificial intelligence, the machine learning, the data science, you know, algorithms to really to really help uh, 
hospitals purchase the best drugs at the best cost um, or even at the right time. How to manage shortages is another great example. Mm, um, really if good example. You, if the product you normally buy uh, isn't isn't being sold, then you have to kind of go through this whole chain of, okay, what are equivalent products? Um, that information is generally stored in other places. Uh, and again, none of that wholesaler level, but Pixis, OmniCell, uh, everything's tied to an item ID, which is you know probably pretty close to interchangeable items since you can load them in the same pocket and pull it for the same use. Um, your EHRs have medication records that are all linked to NDCs and linked to specific products that are more or less interchangeable in that aspect. Um, so you have a plethora of information on how to manage shortages there that, that's kind of separated from your actual ordering process. And it, it relies on a human then to, to make those changes and to think about it critically, which should always be done. But it's really just a you know big time suck, something that's, that a machine can do a lot better is suggest those alternatives when we already mm -hmm. have those mappings built. So, um, so that's kind of a nice breakdown. <laughs> of pretty you know very thorough breakdown of all the different pieces that go into ordering a drug and so what do you what would you suggest so can you walk me through like how a modern shopping uh vendor would handle this type of these type of ordering yeah i mean so if you look at amazon you know one, one of their biggest benefits is that they can kind of aggregate uh shopping and products uh, being sold from a ton of vendors into one common framework. Um, so getting some kind of system that can really share that data. So Amazon here can pull, you know, from 20 different smaller vendors uh, and present the products, the prices, you know, the shipping time uh, to you. Uh, all, all from one website and you can just scroll through there and see, uh, you know, sometimes you'll click on a product and look and there'll be like 50 different people selling it, trying to sell it to you and you can select the, def the best price. Um, again, super easy. Uh, so what I, what I kind of see is that, you know, where we lack that in the drug purchasing market is this sharing of information. Uh, Amazon's been able to do with APIs also, uh, Onk and CMS just released an information sharing rule, um, on the use of APIs to share information. So we kind of see even in healthcare, uh, this movement of using different technology to really share information and you know, make, make things interoperable as we've been talking about for a while. Uh, Home Depot has one. I use it all the time when my wife gives me a honey to-do list. <laughs> uh, instead of sitting there waiting for prices to drop on things or things to go on sale, which uh, tend to go on pretty often, uh, I'll just set up an API to run or set up a query to run against their API and just shoot me an email when prices drop. And then I know to go buy a tool that I've been waiting on for a while or, you know, it's really cheap to buy plywood at the moment. So uh, I can run out there and get that stuff. Um, so again, I think any system that, that really speeds up and gets like a two-way response, something that you can ask uh, for information from a system and it can return it to you right there is beneficial. Uh, APIs, web APIs and you know things like Fire, uh, we see implemented in other areas of healthcare. And that, that's what really got me thinking of this idea of, you know, could we apply this to the drug uh, purchasing market or uh, procurement and, and what benefits would there be in that? Um, again, the systems right now are pretty broken. Uh, they send a lot of what's called an EDI file, uh, which is more or less a flat file, kind of equivalent to sending a letter versus making a telephone call, which would the telephone call would be like an API, uh, where you can really get that real-time kind of data exchange, information exchange, uh, versus sending a letter and then someone's got to send it back the next day. Uh, you really can't you know, do a lot with that. It's just the, the timing's not there to help you out uh, in placing drug orders. I, yeah, I love that analogy. That's exactly right. Is, is the API allows for that bi-directional communication. So you can foresee if we were able to have fire standardization 
and uh, use the, an API to move move data. And um, if for those of you who don't know what an API stands for, that's an application programming interface. It's, which, is, uh, which is a little different than the other API in the pharmacy market of active pharmaceutical ingredients. So <laughs> a little confusing there in our acronyms, but. Oh my, yeah, that's, uh, if you look at, uh, if you look at even, <laughs> I'm laughing, this is an aside, but if you look at the EDI is, is based off of an ANSI X12 uh, standard. ANSI is the, the governing body that's, that mandates standards. But if you actually look at the fields that distributors are sending, there's differences. It, it's sort of like law. When I, when I look at how with the, with the standards, it's some people interpret them differently. And there's no judge overseeing how each different company is interpreting these interfaces. Anyway, not in the interfaces, the actual data in the fields. Um, so that's an aside. Uh, but but um, so so get, getting back on track. So you could so you could foresee basically a global system like an Amazon marketplace, where where you could have an, uh, in, that's interfacing with all the different vendors that a pharmacy hospital is working with. That's also able to 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 drive uh, better product. Uh, choices, or you know, whether it be saving money, or or um, or information about shortages, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think if you know, anytime you can share data, the, the possibilities start to become uh, you know more and more in the clouds of what you're able to do. Uh, <clears throat> you know, so what I kind of you know picture this or see is if if you can share information, then you know, these systems can start to talk to each other and actually start to work and, and play off each other. So say if you have a Pixis or an OmniCell, something that, you know, knows how much product you have on the shelf and knows what you, what par you need to get it to, how much you need to order to get it to. Uh, currently right now, they're limited. They can just generate that order and then you got to extract it from them and send it off to your wholesaler. Um, maybe a manual process, that process I've seen automated a few times. Um, but then you got to get to your wholesaler and your wholesaler there might say, "Hey, we don't have these ten products in that were on your on your on your order or your PO. Um, what do you want to do with them? You know, then you put them down to zero because you know you're not going to get them in. The buyer has to go research. Okay, what what should I do there? Uh, OmniSell and Pixis generally has that information of what alternative products are, uh, just based on what you can put it together in that bin, the same one. Um, so if you could share that information of what the drug wholesaler had at their distribution center, what the cost was, all of a sudden OmniCell and Pixis could start saying, hey, this is on shortage. They're not going to be able to send it to us. Here's another product that, that also goes in this bin that is available. Uh, and there's you know just enough of that product that you could order, get it in and fill your bin and be at your par level that you wanted. Uh, there's a way managing shortages. Um, you know, and then take it even further, uh, right now, there are some systems that integrate with the wholesalers, generally the ones that they that the, the wholesalers offer for 340B. Um, a lot of the other systems don't really integrate so well. Uh, means you got to extract your PO from the wholesaler, uh, run it through a splitting process, you know, get those new three POs, uh, and then send it back to the wholesaler. Um, where again, if you had kind of an API that could exchange that data real time, um, say, either at the OmniCell Pixis level that maybe is generating this order, getting all this information together, could quarry uh, your 340B vendor and say, hey, I have these products I'm trying to order. Can you tell me what the accumulation is on each of them? 
uh, send that back and then it would know how to split it uh, instead of relying on just that software to split it. They're just really managing that data uh, to tell you that this is what you have available and another software could be actually doing the splitting. Um, you know, same thing with 503B companies. Sometimes you have one. Uh, there's been a lot of shortage and kind of disruptions in that market lately uh, with some of the bigger, more well-known ones having some issues and, and kind of halting production for a while. Uh, so at least at Alina, we've gone through and we have, you know, two or three of them at the moment that we are kind of prefer to use. Um, but it's really tough when we have products that overlap there to know which one we should be buying. Um, or if you had an API, you could, you know, request off to each of them, you know, again, along those lines of Amazon, having multiple people trying to sell to you and say, these are what I want. What do you got? Uh, what's the price on each of those? How fast would you be able to get it to me? Um, all that kind of stuff aggregated in one system uh, or be sent to one system to process and say, hey, this is kind of the best option based on rules you have, based on rules that the, the development or vendor has put in there. Um, and then you'd be able to kind of coagulate all this information or gather it all from these other sources, make the decision, and then send the POs out and the order request to where they need to go. Um, again, kind of like that shopping cart. You throw everything in the shopping cart you want, um, and then you can go through and you know pick out change things out, uh, manipulate it before you actually get to the register and ring it out. Uh, we're right now we're kind of stuck. You, you just got to get to that register, ring it out, and then the back end go, oh, you know, I should have done this differently. Oh, this product actually wasn't what I needed. I'm not going to receive it. Uh, um, it's going to be delayed. I'm going to have to make a patient wait, uh, whatever the whatever the situation is. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. It's uh, personally dealt with those issues. <laughs> so. So to sort of close that thread, because I feel like we covered everything that I wanted to cover and hopefully made a strong case is that what we're, what we're saying is really we need persistent analytic pipelines that run all the way out to APIs and they're critical technical infrastructure going forward. And I don't think I can stress that enough. This is something that healthcare needs for all healthcare, digital health. We need to be thinking about Every product that's coming to market right now, or even existing products, we do need that, the persistent um, analytic pipeline. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, even beyond my opinion, we're starting to see this in the healthcare network again with ONC and CMS uh, information sharing their blocking rules that just came out in the last uh, year sometime. Um, we're seeing, you know, huge support and almost requirement or fines being faced on vendors that don't have APIs. Um, this is generally, and then that rule seems to mostly apply to the exchange of health information. Um, so patient care information in that, uh, and drug ordering seems to be left out of that. So I feel like it's kind of the, the pick last in gym class section on that, <laughs> um, where, where it's not really going to be brought along by these rules and these kind of regulations and, you know, kind of government coordinated effort uh, to do that. It's going to be left out of that. But, you know, we see, you know, if we're, if we're seeing a benefit and, and requiring vendors to do it in one area of healthcare, um, you know, I think that makes a strong argument that there's probably benefit in those fringe cases, those those other ones that aren't being picked right off the bat uh, that could use this. You know, and Fire is the one that they really support. Not that you'd have to use that uh, in the drug ordering market, but I think, you know, a lot of vendors will become familiar with that. Uh, anyone who interacts with an EHR will start to be familiar with that. Uh, there is a lot of infrastructure. Uh, there's, you know, pretty solid standard organizations that, that kind of direct these and guide the standards going forward, adding new features, taking features out, uh, manipulating things that didn't work so well. Um, so there's really like a base of support in the community to kind of lift up anything that would go through there, um, as well as vendors will, will be used to dealing with it and used to working with it. So it kind of gets us all on standard 
or normalized terms when we're talking uh, instead of using some other random um, standard organization or some you know completely new developed system from ground zero to do these APIs because there are a lot of different implementations of APIs out there um, that you see but I think fire is a, a pretty dominant one or becoming pretty dominant in healthcare. No, absolutely. Uh, and, and I love how, how that was where I was leading towards. I love how you, you anticipated my next question, which was like, it seems like drug procurement has been left out of those ONC rules, right? Yeah. So, so what do you think? What, like, I don't have an answer to this question, but what do you think? How, how can we get to these APIs if they're not part of the rule? Um, you know, I, I think getting involved in fire, having pharmacists, having vendors uh, get in there and kind of advocate to get a resource in fire made for this. Um, so that's one thing, you know, APIs have to be pretty standardized, pretty structured. You got to know what information's coming, kind of what field, if you would, uh, it's coming in, as you mentioned earlier, when that doesn't happen, it creates some issues. Um, so getting some kind of resource set up in fire to do this, and then hopefully we can get vendors, you know, to jump on and say, hey, we, we have this, we have this information plan to share it. Uh, would people be willing? You know, I, I don't know in my mind if the big three would jump on that right away. I think they, they kind of have some benefit or resistant to change. Just, you know, they have a lot of customers. They have that um, big customer base that kind of pulls in uh, new customers just because they're able to lower costs. They have some technology that they can leverage uh, the interoperability within their own systems, but other vendors can't come in and do that, which kind of stifles innovation as we've seen all across the tech industry for years and years. Um, you know, so I even see once you get a fire standard or some kind of standard API built to say, this is how we're going to do it. Um, and hopefully you'd have their support and, and giving their feedback so you can make it, you know, get the best information from everyone to compile those. Um, but I think you'd start seeing maybe smaller vendors coming in and doing that smaller wholesalers who don't have that huge market share that can bring people to them. Um, but they instead could then offer, Hey, we can integrate with, you know, OmniCell and Pixis and, and truly automate your ordering process or, you know, at, at the most thing, get you down to some points where there's some critical decisions that need to be made and we'll just highlight those critical decisions instead of you going through uh, every single thing and kind of getting that drowned out you know the alert fatigue of drug ordering maybe um, and then once you get those on 503b companies um, would maybe be involved too because that, that, that those are all desperate systems they offer a pretty limited um, aspect of drugs so if you can really say hey uh, if we can just get you onto the standard, um, you can connect to you know tons and tons of customers really easy. You don't have to do this manual interface. They're gonna be used to ordering drugs. Um, anytime they wanna order a drug uh, that falls underneath that. So you know, one specific instance might be succinylcholine from you. Uh, we can just send that information off to you, request it and get that information back. And actually, you know, you can maybe even decrease your IT staff and start leveraging some of these other platforms instead of keeping your wholesaler portal up. Uh, or, you know, up to date looking nice, you know, OmniCell could be the one that really drives that interface uh, in sending off and just gathering that data. So you could maybe even kind of shift off some of these smaller companies, the burden of IT onto, onto some of these bigger vendors who would be doing it in mass. You know, they're not going to do it for one vendor. It's going to be a ton of vendors, but their interaction via an API is going to be standardized. So they're not going to really need to remake, um, you know, every, every connection. They'll just be able to do it once and, and call off to these different companies. Uh, so that's kind of how I think that it would go. Um, I could be wrong. You know, you'd hope hmm. that you'd get some of the big companies on board right away. Uh, that would be an, an awesome way to go about it. But uh, just, you know, talking to them, it, it, there seems to be some resistance or they're, you know, they got other projects they're working on and stuff like that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with everything you said. And I, and I don't really know the answer. That's why I asked the question, but 
you know, I don't know anything about sort of the priorities of the large distributors. Uh, I, and I don't know anything about their much about their financial incentives, but I don't see this as, I guess it would be, you know, possibly an attractive offer to some customers, but, but they're already so sticky in the sense that folks stay with their wholesaler for long periods of time. I'm not sure if it would move the needle and not having an API would move the needle enough to have an ROI on their end. And it, it's definitely a heavy lift to create a new fire API that's able to uh, communicate to other systems. And there's a lot of standards. It's a decent, it's a decent, it's a decently difficult IT project, I, I, I think. Uh, yeah. um, and they would have to probably do some things on their end too to change some of the data standards that might affect some of their customers as well. So yeah, I'm hopeful and I, and I would be hopeful that, and part of the reason I did this podcast is I'm hoping folks who are intra, into pharmacy advocacy, um, hopefully we are helpful in sort of educating the pharmacy community about some of these nuances. And then we could, as 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 uh, pharmacy organizations, can maybe advocate for some of this stuff too. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think you know, having the discussion and, and getting ideas out there on how things could be better and how things change is, is a huge step forward. Um, you know, even even in my life, you run into things and just kind of say, you know, hit something and oh, that's not really ideal. That process is kind of backwards or whatever. But you just accept it for as it is, mm-hmm. or you look at other vendors and say, you know, they they pretty much offer the same thing, a uh, little different colors on the front screen of it or something. But you really we're not going to solve the problem that we're having here. Um, but really trying to look at that, and, you know, keep your heads in the cloud and say, okay, well, what if what if we can make a bigger, broader change? Um, is there ways that we could alleviate all those problems or, or allow vendors to be better? Um, I think, you know, now there is limitation on vendors, uh, wholesalers, all of it that, you know, the old standards that we have that, that we've been using that people adopted just to get things done in the past and which maybe in the past were kind of cutting edge um, mm-hmm. now aren't so cutting edge. They're kind of, you know, left back in the sand. They're, they're the old cart and wagon when, when someone made cars. Um, <clears throat> so really trying to get the industry around talking and discussing, you know, what, what would be the benefit of moving down a path and APIs are one of them that I, I personally think are good, but there might be other data exchange methods uh, <clears throat> um, that, that could be just as well, but just get the conversation around is how do we share data? Um, you know, or is sharing data even beneficial? I think we've made some arguments here that, that show that it can very well be beneficial. Um, and then, yeah, get people talking about it and hopefully you can make some movement going forward. Um, I, you know, I think another thing that I've kind of come up even since I reached out to you or since you reached out to me on this topic um, is, you know, using API and sharing data can really change uh, kind of the pharmacy market and, and drug purchasing. Um, you know, right now I see, as you kind of mentioned, that people get with the wholesaler. A lot of times it's one of the big three uh, and they just kind of stick with them and that, that's who they order from. But uh, wholesalers experience shortages kind of at different levels. Other uh, costing can be different. So um, sometimes, you know, you might even go to a small wholesaler and be able to get a drug for a cheaper thing. But you're always kind of locked into this this one wholesaler and the rebates and, and, and the mm-hmm. contracts you sign with them and all those things. Um, but if you had a market where you opened it up and you could say, you know, I could check or have a system that could check, um, you know, the Amazon that could check 20 different sellers of the product to me. I, I could really start, maybe start buying it cheaper. Good RX. Yeah. Yeah. I exactly. love good RX because it actually does save consumers money. <laughs> yeah. And this, you know, it's probably more on the business side, but, you know, talking about retail, at least in Minnesota, we've seen a, a lot of retail stores closing, which always kind of breaks my heart, uh, decreasing access to care to patients, um, you know, really Absolutely. limited their options to, to things that you see, but, um, 
you know, I've talked to some companies that, that actually do this. They'll go out and, and get data daily from these wholesalers and then they'll, they'll allow pharmacies to go to them and they'll just say, at the moment, this is the cheapest wholesaler to buy that product from. So you go buy it from them. Um, and they're actually able to kind of stop playing some of these rebate games that even the wholesalers play. And over a lot of time we talk about rebates in the PBM realm uh, and really get, get, you know, change how we, how we process and how we do drug purchasing and, and make it more of that kind of retail market where you see where you just go and you buy a product and that's the cost of the product. There's not, you know, you don't give them more money and expect to rebate back on the back end or, or do all this stuff. And, and then it actually creates that competition that we'd hope would be there to drive prices down. Oh, right now when you're stuck with one wholesaler, you know, there, there isn't a whole lot of incentive for them to, to keep their prices super low, uh, just low enough to sell you on the contract in the beginning. But after that, um, you know, it kind of fades away. Such a salient point, and, and uh, you know, generally speaking, and and we can, you know, perhaps another podcast just talking about drug pricing yeah. uh, and how non-transparent and convoluted it is. Uh, but you're right. Like, if if you if we cut out, I guess some people would consider them. The, the terms like a rent seeking organization, it's someone along the supply chain that's pulling out a profit, but not necessarily providing value in return. If, if we could, if we could streamline the way drugs are ordered just from point A to point B, where you, one is able to shop using sort of, I guess, capitalistic philosophies of, of buying. And, and I would add also, uh, hopefully having some detail on the quality of drugs because that's another topic that we could get into in another future podcast but knowing more about quality value etc at the point of ordering would all be helpful in terms of reducing our expenditures at least um, from a healthcare system perspective and and potentially even being able to improve decision making um around around drug purchasing choices um such a good point getting into into the actual drug pricing um, drug pricing model that we are all um, unfortunate experts in, but there's not many of us because you need like a PhD to figure this stuff out honestly. <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I, I probably just barely skimmed the surface uh, with my knowledge compared to how deep it goes, but um, you know we, we just talk and, and definitely healthcare costs has been in you know, big in the political landscape or just people's t discussions lately with COVID and kind of the, the financial strain that's put on health systems and pharmacy closings. Um, just some of these older ways that we've done billing and payment and, and, and set our costs, you know, maybe aren't the best or you know, we could see going forward how that maybe needs to change. Um, you know, I think another thing that you kind of mentioned or, or that, that this ties into is um, on the quality of drugs that we get, you know, there, there's rules and regulations coming down the pipeline. Uh, November, we have the new track and trace requirements for dispensers coming out. Uh, 2023 is the next kind of deadline for that, where really that, that data of where did this product come from? Um, do we know that it's of a quality source, that it's not, you know, a, a fraud product getting to market? Uh, I think that addresses some of the, the quality issues we've seen lately. Uh, there's definitely other ones of just trace um, chemicals being in there that maybe shouldn't. Um, but track and trace, you know, is coming down and this new one's going to start requiring you to, to validate that your data, that that information's there in the 2023 requirements are really going to start that that data gets exchanged electronically, um, which might even be a good point, you know, definitely to bring up this discussion is 
here manufacturers, wholesalers, um, you know, where people get the API active pharmaceutical ingredient are going to have to start sharing this information electronically. Um, so maybe even we, you know, this, this argument could be pinned on, well, can this just be added on to that electronic exchange format? And, uh, we're going to be requiring in November people to kind of check their products and make sure that information sent as they receive it. Um, so again, that, that's a, that more real time. You can't wait to the next day to, to a week later to start checking and saying, mm -hmm. Hey, we've used this product, but we need to check and make sure that, that we actually got that uh, pedigree information sent for the track and trace rules. Um, so we're already even seeing in the kind of drug ordering the drug procurement market, that this idea that sharing information in real time is valuable and needed. Um, that you know track and trace isn't so much in the how do you place an order uh it's more in the realm of is the order that you're getting actually what you what you're supposed to be getting i guess uh but again we are seeing that that they're even claiming then that they're they're having to look at that so maybe maybe people would be more involved since they're already going to have some it staff looking at how to exchange information in new ways and um, i haven't followed too closely what the fda pilot projects have come out on that uh, as far as what's been beneficial or not um you know, but fire would maybe even be or a restful API maybe would even be a way to exchange that information. Uh, again, maybe for another podcast. Yeah, you're right. That's totally re rational. It's totally related. And, and certainly it would be that those requirements would make a lot of sense to loop in some of these other cost related um, topics or objects uh, that uh, that could also sort of piggyback along the way of that stuff because this is all important information that we have to track. Uh, and I do remember what I, what I wanted to, to comment on from something you said earlier was like, you know, we're, we clearly, you and I have a very like, we, I don't want to push folks in the direction of APIs just because you and I think that they're a good idea. And there is, there is, you know, this is what I think is a good idea, but there's, you know, the whole realm of innovation. And when we think about innovation, we have to open our minds to all kinds of possibilities or innovations. So, so as a listener, you know, you know, this is our, uh, you know, this is where we think the pharmacy uh, purchasing industry needs to go. Uh, but, but, you know, the, but there could th certainly be other options out there as well that, you know, your Kent or I haven't, haven't thought about. And I think that's important when we, when we have discussions about innovation, it's just being open-minded to all potential uh, possibilities for, for solutions. And it may be incremental too. It may not just be, you know, one solution fits all. Um, and, and I, we only have a couple of minutes left, but, but I did want to ask you one final question. And recently we've been sort of exchanging ideas around web scraping. Um, can you, I, I'm super interested. Can you tell me about like, first explain to the audience what web scraping is, and then uh, if you could do that succinctly and, and what you're using it for in terms of like, have you used it to solve any problems within uh, Alana's pharmacy department, if you're able to, to share. Yeah. Um, so web scraping is maybe an alternative to, you know, to a fire or web API uh, where you have information on a, on a system that's not under your control and they can't get you reports. Um, so instead you go out to that system and you just scrape their web pages. Um, you know, if you can get it manually, like if, if our buyers say can log into McKesson wholesaler and get the information of what they have in their uh, distribution, 
center that, that we that we access, uh, then a web scraper can do that. Instead of a person going out and getting that information, it's just a computer that goes out there, uh, reads the underlying HTML or the CSS of the web page, and then extracts that information. Um, so it's kind of like a mimic of what you're doing manually. Um, at Alina, you know, we, we've started to use this quite a bit. We have vendors that are maybe a little behind on the technology as far as sharing information goes. Um, one is our 340B vendor. Uh, we will whip scrape them to get our accumulators and that allows us really to pull in some of that information that we you know, talked about earlier and how an API could benefit. Um, that allows us to pull it in and then, and then run analytics on it, run algorithms to say that, you know, this is the best product you should be using. Uh, when penny pricing pops up, uh, we can all of a sudden just instantly switch over and say we have zero accumulation of that product. You know, it's going to take us three months. Uh, we can have algorithms that figure all that out uh, right off the bat versus us having to sit down and manually calculate, go gather that data. Those feeds can already be in place. Um, so we kind of watch that. Uh, we do it. I do a lot for the federal kind of data sources, NDC lists. You know, you get your first data bank and Medispan, and they're pretty good. They have most products in there, but there's always, you know, 10 to 15% disagreement between them. Uh, first data bank, Medispan, the FTA list is always a little variation. So it's, it's helpful to kind of pull and aggregate what you have access to. FDA list is free. RxNorm, RxNav is out there. There's mm -hmm. a lot of good information on drugs, uh, ontologies, and compendiums within RxNorm, uh, different ways to rank things and group things. Uh, definitely in the in the ordering and product space um, so we go and get that information they have nice apis so you don't always need to web scrape um, but it's out there uh, what else yeah I mean, there's some drug shortage information out there online from the fda shp that you can pull in some information from and you know just really kind of help automate it so you're not having to go waste you know 10 minutes 30 minutes a day to look at this to see what our new drug shortages um, you can just kind of get that information and build again those systems to share that information with you so you instead of wasting the time gathering the information you can spend your time making those critical decisions on how is my health system going to manage this uh, is this going to impact us yes or no so essentially it's a way to grab data that's publicly available is that right yeah 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 and in, in an automated uh, machine fashion i think is uh, probably good there to add it yeah and uh, uh, what are some of the tools that you um are there is there any specific tools that if you are like a pharmacy informaticist out there like that you would recommend that are user-friendly that might be not too heavy of a lift to to, to uh, experiment with yeah i mean i think uh you know, most interpreted programming language probably do this. Web is such a dominant thing in IT at the moment that most uh, programming languages have some adaptability to it. Um, but in that Python and R, just because those are very portable, um, you know, they're very good in the machine learning AI space, data analytics space. Um, I personally use Python over R uh, just because Python has a little bit more in the web development um, phase. So it, it has a little more standardized tools or tools that are a little easier to access there. Uh, but again, very, very accessible, um, very kind of responsive in how they do their things. They got a lot of tools out there, a lot of tutorials. Uh, if you, you know, Google search Python web scraping and, and you can't find an article, you probably need to check your internet connection. <laughs> up would be my guess, but uh, yeah. Uh, within Python, I, I like the request package. That's more or less just a way to you know, you have your computer send a URL to a website and return the data back to you. And um, then there's Beautiful Soup is a package that allows you to break down that HTML, uh, which for non-web people, that's kind of what gives structure to all your documents um, on the web page. Uh, every web page out there, more or less, every web page out there is made on it. Uh, there was another standard that has some on it, but HTML is definitely the predominant one. Um, and that, that really holds all your information. So anytime you have a, a block or a paragraph of text, it's under some 
you know, HTML tag. Um, and, and that allows you to kind of parse through it and get the information and pick out different elements that you want and then extract that. Uh, there are some other ones out there. Selenium is another one. It's for web testing more so, but it actually opens up a browser on your computer and then just instead of you moving your mouse, the computer moves your mouse and clicks on the buttons you want. Uh, that can be useful sometimes. Definitely when you've got login pages that are kind of hard to get around uh, with the request package, Selenium will, will take care of that for you. Uh, it tends to be a little slower, mm -hmm. but um, just different ways out there. And again, like if you just Google search this stuff, you know, can't log into web page, web scraping Python, like that'll pop up and that'll, that'll tell you. So right. back to your original question, how I learned that a lot of Googling, uh, some Udemy courses, um, that, that was, that, that stuff was maybe more on the uh, self-learning stuff. So definitely confident other people interested in the area could learn it. Really cool. Well, Kent, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this topic and, and for agreeing to be on the podcast. I uh, really appreciate your time. So um, thank you. And until uh, um, next time, Pharmacy Podcast. podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.